0: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can gather together in your name here this morning. Father, we pray that these things that you would have us look at as we look at your great commission today, that, Father, you would speak to each one of our hearts, each one of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, good morning. You know, the last words that people speak are often very precious. The last words that people speak are often very memorable. There are entire books written of last words that famous people have said. We often remember those things. For example, Lou Gehring, the great baseball player, when he left baseball in 1939, his last words were, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Most people don't under or remember other things Lou Gehring said, but they remember that quote. Or... General Douglas MacArthur, as he left the Philippines in World War II, he said, I shall return, right? Often, last words in movies are things that people remember. For example, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz says, There's no place like home. Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca turns to Ingrid Bergman and says, Here's looking at you, kid. And Red Butler and Gone with the Wind says, Frankly, my dear... Oh, I, I better not continue the rest of that one. But last words are often very precious. Last words are often very memorable. And as I was considering what my last words would be to this congregation, I thought I would instead go with the last words of Jesus. The last words that Jesus gave to us before he returned to heaven. They're recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. You can turn with me in your Bibles or follow on the screen. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying here to his disciples, I'm about to leave, I'm about to go, but disciples, I am giving you three tools, three things that I want you to use until I return. Three things that if you take them and you use them, you will change the world forever. What are those three things that Jesus gives to us? What are those three tools that he's given to the church and he expects us to use until his return? Number one, it says in verse 18, Jesus starts here by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And by implication, what he's saying there is, if all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, then all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you to go. That we have God's authority. The word for authority there is the Greek word exousia. Exousia is another word for power. Exousia means that which is lawful or that we are allowed or we have permission. In other words, God is saying here, I give you the permission to go and to change the world. How can God say that? Why do we have permission to change the world? Well, very simply, the world belongs to Him. The world belongs to God. God owns it. He created it. And everything on it, and everything under it, and everything around it. God created all things. And because He's the owner, He can say to us, I want you to go, and I want you to transform it. You see, you have to own something if you're going to change it. If you're renting a house, you can't just take a, you know, a, a hammer and start pounding away and removing walls in that house. You can't do that because the house doesn't belong to you. You have to be the owner. But once you're the owner, you can do it. Now, if someone comes walking up to you out there in the foyer and gives you a sledgehammer and says, I want you to go knock out a wall of this church you probably shouldn't do it right away, correct? You know, I, you know if someone just hands you a sledgehammer and says, go for it, you know, don't start swinging away. However, if you know that there's a building campaign, which hopefully in the coming years there will be, we looked at some wonderful drawings this week, some very exciting times ahead. But if, if the elders and the, the church meets together and we, we agree that we're going to have a building campaign and we knock out a wall, we're going to knock out a wall and, 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 and the board comes to you and says, here's a sledgehammer, we want you to knock out this wall as part of a building campaign, then you're probably going to do it. Why? Because you have the authority. You've been given the authority of the owners of the building to go and to do it. But it requires authority. What is our authority Colossians 1:16 For by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority all things were created by him and for him It says in Ephesians 1:19 that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. All things are under the feet of Jesus Christ. And God has said, go. And only He has the authority because He's its creator. Therefore, if God says, go, it means we have permission to go. It doesn't matter what the world say. It doesn't matter what the courts say. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter about popular opinion. It doesn't matter about being politically correct or being, quote, quote, tolerant. If God says go, we go. I remember years ago when I was at Philpott Memorial Church, my, my first full time ministry, Naomi and I were just married. And you know, Naomi was a little bit younger than me, and she looked really young. But I remember this one day, I was off in, in another part of the building doing a Bible study with the youth, and Naomi was in my office typing at the computer, and a precious old saint from the church walked by, and she kind of looked in the office, and, and, and then she said to Naomi, um, excuse me, young lady, but are you supposed to be in here? <laughs> and, and Naomi said, yeah, <laughs> you know. And she said, well, I don't think the youth pastor would appreciate you using his computer without permission. And she says, well, I think I have permission. I'm his wife. And she goes, oh, I thought you were in the youth group. Oh, I'm so sorry, you know. She had no idea, you know. Naomi had complete authority to be there. Because, you know, what's mine is hers. And what's hers is hers. I don't understand exactly how it works that way, but... You know, um, but no she had the authority and we have authority almost 90 years ago the church in Kuwait was formed and I think I've told that story before but what I haven't said is that just a little ways from Kuwait there's another small country called Bahrain And the year the church was planted in Kuwait, another church was planted by the same organization in Bahrain. The National Evangelical Church in Kuwait and the National Evangelical Church in Bahrain. And both those churches, when they were planted, the government gave them strict instructions. They said, you can be in this country, but you cannot tell other people about Jesus. You can do what you want within the confines of this compound, but you cannot tell other people about Jesus. And when we went to Kuwait in the 90s, there had never been a single Kuwaiti convert ever in the history of that church. And the same was true in Bahrain. But you see, about 30 years ago, there was a pastor that went to Kuwait called Jerry Zanstra. And when Pastor Jerry arrived, he was told the same thing that all the pastors before him had been told. He was told, you can't evangelize the locals. We have to do what we do in the compound. We can't go off the compound and tell people, about Jesus. And you know what Pastor Jerry said? He said, why not? Well, we don't have permission. Oh, yes, we do have permission. Because you see, the government says this, but God says this. And God's law is greater than the government's. Because the government doesn't own the land, God owns the land. The government didn't create the land. God created the land, and every person on the land. And if God says it's okay to go, then it's okay to go. And the church began to go beyond its borders. And the church began to reach out. And Kuwaiti started coming to Christ. And now you go to Kuwait, there's a church of 4,000. You go to Bahrain, there's a church of 40. Why am I saying this? Almost 400 years ago, there was a reformation of the Catholic Church. Menno Simons was one of the great reformers. And as Menno Simons left the church, one of the greatest evangelistic movements of the modern age started. Do you know that early Mennonites were the most evangelistic group in the Reformation? More people were won in those early days of the Reformation by the Mennonites, the followers of Menno Simons, going out and leading people and bringing people to Christ. But then you want to know something? persecution started. The church started getting so big so quickly that persecution started. And Mennonites became refugees traveling from one country to another, wherever they could find a home. And country after country, the ruler would say, come on in, come on in, we'll let you come in, we'll let you live here. You know, take this worthless land, farm it, make it nice, and then we'll kick you out in a couple hundred years. But all these different rulers said, come on in, live here. But you cannot tell other people about Jesus. And you want to know something? The early Mennonite church bought into it. It compromised. In order to survive, it gave up the great commandment, the great commission. And it turned inward on itself. And it spent all of its time and its energies just protecting itself from the world instead of being the great army of God that it was called to be. And can I tell you something? The fear still remains. 400 years later, the fear still remains. But who's telling us to stop? The government? Where's the persecution? Colonies exist, but, but where are the things that caused the colonies to form in the first place? They're gone. They're long since gone. God has said, Go. God has said, Take the gospel I have given you and take it to every la- tongue, tribe, and language. He has given us the permission, and there is nothing under heaven that can stop us from doing that. We have His authority. God-given authority, and nothing can take that away from you. Don't let anybody ever tell you you can't witness for Christ. Don't let anyone ever tell you you can't preach the gospel. And you know what? The government can't tell you to do that, but you want to know something? I can't tell you to do that either. The church can't tell you to do that either. If God has placed a ministry in your life, if God, has placed, if, God is, if God is trying to birth a movement in your heart, then go for it. You have the permission to do it. You may have grown up in a church that didn't give you permission. You may have grown up in a church that tried to force you to, to only have certain things that you could do and other things you couldn't do. And people grow up in fear, thinking, oh, I, I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. I don't have the education to do that. I don't have the training to do this. You know what? It doesn't matter. God has said... You have permission. You don't have to wait for a pastor to tell you to do it. You don't have to wait for the elders to okay it. Although it's not a problem to tell them. I mean, you know. You have permission. If God is birthing something in your heart, if God has placed a passion in your heart for something, I want you to do it. Do it. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. One of my favorite quotes from Eugene Peterson is this. There is an enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God calls us to do. Our ideas of what we can or want to do are trivial. God's ideas for us are grand. God has given us, number one, his authority. We have his permission, number one. But number two, not just his permission, not just his authority. When Jesus sent us out, he sent us out with authority, but he also said this, go and make disciples of the nations. He's given us something else. He's given us this book. He's given us his word. And with this book, that is active and living like a two-edged sword, we are called to transform the nations. You know what? Transforming the nation starts by transforming your own heart. You have to become a student of this book. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard me said in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Discipleship is not just a class. Discipleship is not just a course that you go to and then you think you say, Okay, I'm glad that's over with You know, I can go on with with the rest of my life. Discipleship is something that starts the day that you become a Christian and ends the day you go home to be with Him in glory. If you are a Christian, then you are a student. A student of God's Word. And as students, we need to study. You cannot be a student and not study. It starts with baptism. The most basic step. If you have not been baptized, get baptized. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to get baptized. Because that's a step of obedience that God is calling you to. But then in addition to baptism, you start through training yourself. Learning. And can I tell you something? Discipleship starts in the heart. It starts with a desire to do something. It starts with a passion for God's word. You have to love this book. The more you read this book, the more you love this book, the more you love this book, the more you read this book. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. We need to mature in our faith. It starts with passion. General William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, once said this. He had a group of students in front of him. And he said this, If I had my choice, I wouldn't send you to school. I would send you to hell for five minutes. And you would come back real soul winners. It starts with a fire in your bones. It starts with a passion for the lost. It starts with a desire to learn. There's a lot of great opportunities to learn in this church. You know, men, I think you should be jealous of the ladies because you know, the three years that we've been here, I have seen the women's ministry do ama- amazing things. So the Beth Moore studies and all these ladies, you know, doing homework week after week and taking notes and memorizing Scripture. And Man, they're, people are growing in leaps and bounds. The men should be very jealous of that, that there isn't that same amount of thing. It starts with personal study. You know, one of the things I've appreciated, um, I have really appreciated Bill Giesbrecht. I'll see if he looks up at me now. one of the things I appreciate about Bill Giesbrecht is you cannot talk to him for more than five minutes without him quoting scripture anybody ever heard that you know you can testify to that I mean five minutes talking there has to be a scripture verse in there somewhere it's just it comes out over I mean it's just like a walking encyclopedia of biblical knowledge Um, may your tribe greatly increase May we all have that kind of zeal. May we all have that kind of passion for God's Word. I heard a story about a little dog who got hit by a car one day. A guy was driving home. It's a dark road. The dog ran out. The driver hit that little dog. He got out of the car and he went. The dog was laying there on the road unconscious. He got a first aid kit out of the back of his car and began to clean the wounds and bandage the little dog up. And just as he was finishing bandaging that little dog up, seeing that it had no broken bones or anything like that, suddenly the dog woke up and it looked up at this man and the dog ran away off into the bush. And the man thought to himself, oh, ungrateful little dog after I cleaned up all your wounds. That night the man was home and just a few blocks from there and he heard a scratching at the door. And he went and he opened up the door and there was that little dog with the bandages still on it. And next to it, there was another little dog that was injured that the other one had brought. Isn't that a picture of what we are called to be as Christians? We are called to be people that have been healed, have been restored, had been forgiven, but more than that, more than that, we just don't run off into the night thankless. We go find the first person we know that needs that same forgiveness, that same love, that same mercy, and we bring them back to the feet of the healer. God has given us His permission, His authority. God has given us His word, our purpose for everything that we do. And lastly, it says that God has given us one more thing. Jesus said Lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I I once asked somebody, you know, why they always drove everywhere and they didn't fly. They said, oh, because Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. He said nothing about when you're up in the air. You know, uh, that's kind of the King James joke. But um, Jesus said he would go with us. Jesus said that, you know, he was going to be with us through his Holy Spirit. He has given us power. We have his authority. We have his word. But more than that, We have His power. Luke 9, 1 says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority. That's exousia, authority, and dunamis, which is power. The same word we get dynamite from. Authority and power go together. And that's what we have been given. Authority and power. To drive out demons and cure diseases. And He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus said, you know what? The things you have seen me doing, healing the sick, raising the dead, driving out demons, you go. And I'm sure the disciples said, whoa, wait a minute. How how am I going to heal the sick or, or drive out? Oh, Jesus says, the same way I am, the same spirit that's in me, the same authority that's in me, the same power that's working through me, I'm putting in you. You have everything that I have. And so everything that I have done, you can do it too. When Jesus was taken up into heaven, it says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You've heard me say this before. Refrigerators are useless if they're not plugged in. I mean, you can make it into a nice bookshelf maybe. Take the door off, put in some shelves. But if you really wanted a refrigerator to do what a refrigerator is supposed to do, it has to be plugged into a power source. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we must be plugged in. We will not be what God has intended us to be until we understand that principle. Until we are plugged in. We have to be people that are passionate about the Spirit. People that seek the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. What did Paul say? Paul was able to testify this in Romans fifteen seventeen. I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and miracles and through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way down to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He's saying there, preaching is one thing, but it has to come with power. There has to be that power that comes with it. There has to be that demonstration that the gospel actually works. That it's more than just words. It's more than just an intellectual assent of truth. They have to see the truth first. And they see it lived out in our lives. When Jesus called us to go into the world... He gave us a finishable task. The Great Commission is a finishable task. Go into all the world, preach the good news, baptize, make disciples is a finishable task. There are many things in the Bible that are not finishable. For example, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing to feed the poor. But if you were to take all the money in all the world and tomorrow go out and feed every poor person on the planet, it would be a wonderful thing and we should do that. But the next day there would still be poor. There will always be poor. You will never have a perfect church because churches are made of imperfect people. And because people are imperfect, there's no such thing as a perfect church. So it's impossible to achieve perfection in the church. It doesn't mean we don't strive to be as very, the very best that we can do. But having a perfect church is a task that you cannot achieve. But the Great Commission is achievable. It's doable. God said it's doable. In the last day, there is every tribe and tongue and language standing before the throne of God. You know what that means? That means in the end, it gets done. And can I tell you, there has never been a generation like this generation. There has never been a day like today. More people who have become a Christian last year than any other year since the creation of the world. There is greater revival in the world today than there has ever been since the creation of the world. The church is growing faster. The gospel is moving out in in, in a greater way. Every year it increases. I remember when I was young... When I was just in high school, I remember hearing a missionary come to our church and say, you know what, in order for the gospel to go to every tribe and tongue and language, it's going to take more than 100 years, 100, maybe 200 years. And you know what, that has completely changed in this generation. Because of communication, because of transportation, we are living in a day and age when the gospel is reaching to the ends of the earth where every tribe and tongue and language has a church. It's happening, and it's happening now. And what the Bible says, Jesus himself said that when every tribe and tongue and language has heard, then he comes again. Then the job is over. Then glory begins. So these are exciting days. These are amazing days. And I'm glad to be living in a church that understands that these are amazing days. A church where there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of anticipation and there's a sense that God is moving amongst us and we're growing and good things are happening and what does God have on the horizon for us? These are exciting days for this church. I'll end with a story. You know, many centuries ago there was this little European village and there was a single road that led in and out of this little village and it was a beautiful road a nice smooth road but the problem was is that as you were going into that village on that road there was this great big rock this great big boulder that was right in the middle of the road and it was a problem I mean, people would be walking down that nice road and they'd come to this big rock and they'd have to walk around that rock to the one side, they'd have to walk around that rock to the other side. When it rained, there'd be mud and the people would have to tramp through the mud to get around that rock and they'd have to drag their horses and wagons around that rock and the horses and the wagons would get stuck and the mud got worse and worse and worse as the time went by. And year after year, people walked on that road, and they walked around that rock, and they looked at that rock, and they said, Why doesn't someone just move this rock? Why doesn't someone just fix this road? Why doesn't someone do something about this problem? As they just walked on by. Well, one year there was a visitor that came to that town. and As he was walking along, he saw this big rock sitting in the middle of the road. And all of this mud and all this stuff where everybody had tried going around it. And he said, you know what? Someone should just get rid of that rock. And so he walked into the woods and he cut out a big log. And he took that long log and he used it as, as you know, kind of something. And he stuck it under it and he, he, he braced it and he, he pulled on that thing like a lever. And pretty soon he had moved that boulder out of its spot. And it was a big round rock, so then he was able to push it off to the side of the road. So now it wasn't in the road anymore. And he was thinking to himself, oh, that took took a lot of effort. But, you know, I'm glad it's finally gone. He was about to continue on when he looked. And there in the hole that the rock had left, there was something at the bottom. There was a bag. And he picked up this bag and there was a note. And the note said this. Thank you for being a true servant of the kingdom. Many have passed this way and complained because of the state of the problem and spoken of what ought to be done. But you have taken the responsibility upon yourself to serve the kingdom instead. You are the type of citizen we need more of in this kingdom. Please accept this bag of gold that traveler after traveler have walked by simply because they didn't care enough about the kingdom to serve it and I wonder sometimes I wonder how many bags of gold do we miss along the way how many blessings of God do we miss because we simply don't take the time We look at something and we say, oh, that's someone else's job, let them do it. And we love to complain and we love to point out the problem and we love to say, oh, we should change this and we should change this and we should do this and we should do that. And all you ever do is walk by in the mud looking at the boulder. The ones who get the blessing are the ones who move the boulders. The ones who get the blessing are the ones that see the problem And they use the tools that God has given them. The authority and the power and the word of God to do something about the problem. It's our choice. God has given us his authority, but it's up to us to use it. God has given us his word, but it's up to us to read it. God has placed his Holy Spirit within us. But it's up to us whether or not that spirit will transform us and make a difference in the world in which we live. My prayer is that as we continue forward, I expect to hear great reports. I expect to hear lots of great stories of what God is continuing to do through this local fellowship. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be a community of faith, a people who love one another in in fellowship. And Lord, we know, we recognize that we're imperfect people. And Lord, we know that sometimes we are so frail in and of ourselves. But Father, we also know that from your word that you have given us these three powerful tools, these three amazing tools to go out and to change the community in which we live, to change the world in which we live. And Father, I pray that you would help us to go. Help us, Father, to have the courage to take these tools and to use them to further your kingdom. That we would embrace the gospel. That, Father, we would embrace your spirit and and your authority in our lives. That we would move and we would live upon it. Help us to be obedient people, Father, sensitive to what you speak into our lives and obedient to it. Thank you, Father, for this place. I pray, Father, your continued blessing upon it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for a closing song. I to watch.